Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's Strategy Academy after the episode, Pro Report, episode five. It's Christy Smith, and I'm here with Christy Yossi. Hey, Christy. Good morning. Everyone's favorite 20 minutes of the week, probably, with the Christy. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> um, so thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Hopefully, you all were able to watch our fifth episode of the Pro Report. And if you were not, you can go to healthpro-heritage.com forward slash pro report, and you can watch it there. Um, but first, I just wanted to say thank you to our sponsor, Profility. And the topic for this week was the road forward for CCRCs. And we had a really, um, you know, robust pro report this past week and, you know, really great content on there, but really great speakers as well. So huge thanks to Peggy Connerton, who is the National Director for SNP Services for Covenant Living, um, Julie Bringus, one of our VPs of Business Development for Health for Heritage, Andrea Lynch, our, our VP of Operations, Mark Petty, our other VP of Business Development. You know, we had a, a lot of people talking this week, but really, really great content and uh, really some great key takeaways, I thought. Um, and I think, you know, even if you're not a CCRC, um, you know, facility out there, organization out there, I think there are still some really great takeaways and things to consider um, for different settings as well, whether you're freestanding senior living, whether you're SNF, um, and just kind of how you can partner along the continuum even. So um, we're going to just dive right into it. Uh, Christy, what were your initial thoughts following this pro report just you know, about how we can, you know, leverage CCRCs and how that road forward to quote unquote reopening looks for these individuals. Yeah, I think it's a, a hot topic and on a lot of people's minds. If you are a CCRC, you obviously have the cross spectrum of ALIL, you've got skilled nursing, you've got rehab within skilled nursing, outpatient probably within your community, and then home health partnerships. So you're, you're having to collaborate a lot of different moving parts Mm -hmm. um, reducing exposure by getting those residents across the spectrum out of their apartments, out of their rooms, getting back to wellness, and then working with those partners, again, in home health. How many home health nurses do you have? How many therapists? Are your outpatient therapists your same home health therapists? And kind of working that out to limit exposure because we're still in a vulnerable time for those those folks. So I think it's it's just a lot of moving parts. If you're a standalone SNF, it's it's enough um, to begin with, but then you've added multiple levels. And and we think of independent living and and even assisted. It's their home. Um, right. Skilled nursing is their home, and we're essentially saying you can't come out of your home. But I think independent living for for the most part has been going in and out. Um, essentials whatever they needed based on the state or the county. But I think it's interesting to see how do we, if we haven't already started bringing our personal care and assisted living residents out, what does that look like? What's the setup of your communal spaces in and out to their cars, um, dining and takeout versus actual dining in social distancing. So just a lot of questions that I have too, that what's like, what different providers are doing, what different things and how are they innovating? Yeah. That was one thing that Peggy had hit on, too, is that, you know, they were starting to look at, you know, phase one and rephasing, you know, the reopening or phasing the reopening, I should say. Um, and they did mention the dining and the takeout. They also mentioned the hair salon, of course, if that's like a, you know, <laughs> really important place to go for a lot right. of folks out there. I know I ran back to my hair salon when it reopened. Exactly. Um, so, you know, I think that there's ways that you can start to obviously integrate the normal feedback into everyone's routine. But she also talked about how transparent you have to be with your communication, how you have to continue to keep your finger on the pulse, how you have to continue to make sure that what you're doing is working. 
um, you know, and ensuring that, you know, as people start to kind of let their guards down and start to do some outdoor activities with social distancing and masks, you know, people start to feel a little bit more comfortable and it doesn't seem as though, you know, there's still the, the looming threat of COVID in the imminent future for some of those folks because maybe they're not greatly impacted in that area or whatnot, but it's still there to your point. So I think, you know, something that we've heard through the past, you know, three episodes really with the Pro Report is that transparent communication, that effective communication, that proactive communication, and then just continually, you know, ensuring and looking at quality assurance of what we're integrating that it's working. And that's the hard part. I think sometimes it's like sometimes a little less measurable that folks have to continue to keep their finger on the pulse of what's next, what can we safely phase in? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of roads reopening for skilled nursing facilities, leading age Pennsylvania, Tennessee, um, you know, even on our own PDPM University and beyond for our partners as an exclusive. Um, And we've been talking a lot of ways to prep and some nursing homes are already starting to bring their residents out. Um, Assisted living's doing the same thing. They're doing outdoor activities, setting up hallways, um, one-way traffic, ways to step off if social distancing is not able. The other thing I'll bring up is the International Council on Active Aging has set up a senior living task force to kind of generate and provide ideas, tactics, strategies, and messaging to organizations to reopen um, assisted and independent living. And I think people have already begun to do that. So I don't know how timely this will be, um, but I guess people, once they've already started, they can learn from that and, and kind of see what the ICAA has to say. But I know for us, we're working on both a SNF and a senior living checklist in preparation to things to consider, kind of thought provoking ideas as you're looking at new and different ways to bring those residents out and get them back to wellness, get them back to socialization while being safe. Um, and still maintaining social distancing, hand hygiene, and face coverings where appropriate. So I think it's just um, a lot of different people are working on different ideas. Some people are piloting and trialing new things. Um, A lot of our ALIL residents are already coming out to do different things. It's just we can't keep folks cooped up, and we can't think that this is going to be happening forever. It's acceptable. But at the same time, we have to keep them safe. So I think a lot of people are concerned. Um, but we also have to share with each other what's working, what's not working, what happened, and be really open to that. And it's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, I love that. It kind of goes along, too, with what Andrea was talking about with sort of that, like, tiered approach and assessing risk and making sure that, like, for instance, you know, she was talking about how therapists and rehab and treating those patients over in the ALIL settings, you know, when this all hit, and as we continue to reopen what that looks like. And, you know, she had done like a tiered approach of like, okay, these are the patients that we would consider the highest risk that we can absolutely not stop services without detriment to them. But then as you continue to reopen, you can start to take on those more moderate to low risk patients as well. Um, Of course, maintaining all infection control and ensuring that, you know, all of those practices are met and that everything is safe. Um, But I thought that was a really great way to kind of explain it is that tiered approach of the high, medium, low risk and what that would look like. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. Um, and I'll tell you why. I, I think there are some partners that we work with who want to be extremely safe and cautious and that works um, as long as it works for them. And, and that's what we've had to do. We've had to really get with our partners and determine what they want to do and what makes the most sense. I think if people need rehab, they need rehab. We're seeing throughout this 
um, that rehab really never should have stopped anywhere. And in a lot of locations, it didn't. In some, it did across the country. Those people are declining rapidly. You're seeing article upon article of family members being interviewed, talking about my, my loved one has declined so drastically. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the tiered approach. If they need rehab, they need rehab. And there's a reason for it. It's to maintain their highest practical level, social, physical, well-being, emotional. Right now is not the time to stop that interaction. We just have to be safe. But I get it at first. At first, we didn't necessarily have enough PPE. Right. So that makes sense. But as you're getting enough PPE and you're understanding a little bit more about the novel virus, we know that therapy is very, very impactful for people who have or had COVID-19 and even those who didn't. That's, I mean, that's a fact. There's research upon research upon research study coming out now. And then we know what therapy does for people before COVID-19. And so I don't love when people say, let's stop therapy, let's close, let's shut right. it down. Um, it's just, it's not, it's not the right thing to do. We just have to be safe and careful and partner together, limit interaction, limit exposure, limit people coming in and out. So having the same clinician, having clinicians spread one in AL, one in IL, one in skilled nursing, and maybe not crossing over. Um, not having therapists come who are PRN in another community. So, so sticking with one community. And that, of course, isn't going to work everywhere. Um, staffs are sometimes small. Um, there's just not enough residents to have a full-time therapist. So we have to be creative, but we still have to be safe. So I would you know, implore people out there who are working on a tier um, risk type of based therapy model that we start considering if we haven't already moving forward with you know, therapy as it's needed. Now there is opportunity though, I think for telehealth now with the 1135 waivers um, on a CCRC campus. So we can, for those people who are appropriate for that from an outpatient perspective, absolutely. Limits exposure, gets them what they need, gets them moving, gets them that social interaction, physical interaction, and of course, um, psychosocial well-being. So it's possible, but I, I think we need to look at that. And, and two weeks is one thing, four weeks is another. We're, 12 or 13 weeks in. And could you imagine if someone had stopped therapy or oh, tier gosh, no. risk? Those, those moderate risk people would be high risk in a heartbeat. Those low risk would be high risk in a heartbeat, 12 weeks. Um, so I think we just need to be considerate about all the factors and just partner together and work through it and make sure we're meeting the needs of all of our residents across the campus. Right. And speaking of the risk and meeting the needs, you know, the 1135 waivers you mentioned with the technology piece of it, is still in place for the, you know, direct admission or skill in place piece of it as well. So ensuring that we're continuing to meet those needs appropriately, even though we are, as it appears, we could be nearing the end of a public health emergency, we're still in one. And so that's another, you know, thing to think about and something really strong that CCRCs are able to leverage with those different levels of care that they have right there on campus. Yeah. And we've said this in other, after the episodes, we've talked about the 1135 three-day waiver being able to skill in place, direct admit, admit from emergency department and still skill, admit from senior living or, or directly from the community and skill. And we just had an article come out. I think it was McKnight's uh, Seema Verma uh, the, at the um, head of CMS basically said, you know, I can't see telehealth going away. Telehealth is something that's going to stay. It's um, we have to look at it and how we're doing it, video versus phone. We have to look at, you know, when we do telehealth in therapy for physicians, for nursing, um, but there's a huge opportunity. So this has been very devastating for our population that we serve, but it's also been a, a way to get the change that has been needed for so long in our industry. So it's, it's a way to just move forward, I think. Yeah, that's a great point. 
So um, a little bit, too, of what Andrea had spoken about in the pro report was just some considerations for, you know, actual gym spaces and public spaces or communal spaces reopening. So, you know, I thought it was really smart to hit on some of that. I'm sure a lot of our folks are already thinking about this out there, but, you know, ensuring that they're looking at max capacity, you know, right now is a great time of year that we can open up doors, open up windows, maybe even get outside. So airflow, ventilation, social distancing. What what are some of those, you know, big key takeaways that you would also add in um, from the infection control piece of it, looking at actual physical plant space? Yeah, great question. And I I think, you know, as we talk to our partners, not just about rehab, but really any communal space, looking at the square footage, um, looking at the equipment in that square footage, what can be removed that we don't necessarily need, um, because that will impact disinfection. Any types of spongy or porous materials should be removed as well. It's very hard to clean, um, can have infection competencies for people who are cleaning um, to make sure they change their gloves in between patient care and cleaning so they're not taking anything from patient care onto a clean surface once it's clean. And then, of course, um, historically, therapy gyms, and as an example, aren't the ones that are always clean uh, very well. So having a deep cleaning before you open and then an ongoing schedule of deep cleaning of those communal spaces, gym included, um, setting up six feet apart, distancing in and out, PPE stations, hand washing stations, um, and then again, a, a, clean, a solid cleaning schedule between patients to disinfect and then um, day to day as well. And what that will look like, we've got to look at transportation of patients and making sure we're maintaining uh, social distancing during that. We've got to look at the amount of PPE that we have as we bring um, patients into the gym for working on exercise. We may not have a face covering on on the patient. If we are working on education and, and that piece, we could. And then outside spaces. So are there outside spaces that therapy can happen? Um, gardening, groups, education, those kinds of things where it's covered and our residents are safe and it's not necessarily in direct sunlight, especially people with breathing issues. So a lot of things that we have to consider and then still cleaning those outdoor spaces and setting up for social distancing to redesign. It's it's layout, it's infection prevention and cleaning schedules, it's social distancing, and it's really your policy and PPE and those competencies related to that. So just a lot of things to consider, but it has to happen. Um, So if you haven't started preparing and looking at your spaces, you really need to do that now. Definitely. Well, Thank you so much for joining again, Christy, and hopefully our listeners out there are enjoying our pro report. We did have an off week this week, but we'll definitely be coming back with some more. Um, So stay tuned and check out our landing page for it at healthpro-heritage.com forward slash pro report. So you could sign up and be in the know for any future ones. And as always, if you have any questions for myself or Christy, you can reach out to us at strategypodcast at healthpro-heritage.com. Thanks so much again, Christy. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.